millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook and the one and only former West Ham and England striker, Dean Ashton, who joins us on the pod. This is what's coming up on today's show. I think the big thing for him will be, though, is if Jurgen Klopp says, yeah, you're my man, every week you are starting in the big games, I think that'll elevate him and give him the confidence he needs. It feels as if they are trying their hardest to find a way to rule out goals. Definitely since the Tottenham-Liverpool game, it feels like every decision they're taking a long time to make sure that it's right and they're probably checking absolutely everything so they don't miss anything. David Raya looks a bag of nerves every time they take the pitch. So again, he's created a situation there where neither goalkeeper really knows if they're the number one or not. I think the yep. decisions that Mikel Arteta made in this summer transfer window are going to cost Arsenal a shot at the title. We underestimate how good Luke Shaw is and I think he's probably the biggest miss to that Manchester United team because so much of their play comes down that side when he plays. Hello, gents. Everyone okay? Dino, welcome back to the pod. You all right? Yeah, very well. Thanks. Thanks for having me back on. You've had a busy week uh, this weekend. I heard you uh, losing your mind at a uh, decision that was uh, given against the Wolverhampton Wanderers (laughs) on Saturday evening. Have you you come down from that yet? (laughs) Just about. I mean, the problem is I've actually been that person. that wins the penalty. So I know exactly what Baldock did, which is probably why um, it got to me so much and, and just felt a little bit sorry for Wolves, to be honest. Um, Crookie, you've been uh, you've been out and about this weekend, haven't you? You were at Luton versus Liverpool on Sunday in what was a, an epic game, really, in a sense, in that obviously Luton was so close to winning it. But it, when, when you don't win it, if you're going to draw a game, then... You don't really mind that it's Luis Diaz who ends up getting the goal, do you? Absolutely. It was a brilliant afternoon, brilliant atmosphere. I think Luton made it difficult for Liverpool, but Liverpool made it difficult for themselves with the number of chances that Darwin Nunez in particular missed. But it was just, it was a great advert for the Premier League because I'm not being a Premier League snob here, but you just don't really get that kind of game in other countries where the supposed whipping boys of the Premier League can come so close to beating the former European champions and the former Premier League winners. It was brilliant. There was a great statistic this week, actually. It was suggesting that the gap between the top and the bottom had got to the point where it was almost unbridgeable. The three, the four teams that were in the top four places before the start of the season, uh, before, the start of the season before the start of the weekend, uh, were uh, picking up so many points in comparison to those at the bottom 
It was the biggest gap between the top four and the bottom three that there has ever been at this stage of the season. And there was sort of a worry that that was going to continue. And then Luton have brought everybody right back down to earth, which is great. And good to see Sheffield United actually get a win on the board, even though it was in uh, rather controversial circumstances. It wasn't the only controversial decision of the weekend. Once again, there were far too many of those. So let's get into it. Let's start with Luton against Liverpool. 1-1. Luton denied a major scalp. Excellent performance. I think they'll be delighted when they think about it in the cold light of day that they've taken a point against a team like Liverpool. But they were oh so close to getting all three. And actually it was really frustrating at the end when they had an opportunity in the last attack of the game. And instead of trying to square it back to Ross Barkley, I don't know who it was on the right-hand side. Was it Ogbeni who ended up Good sitting into... Gabori into in, into the side netting. You just thought, just set it back to the edge of the penalty area. There's someone there. That's that sort of game management. It's that sort of game now, which I think they've got to probably just uh, pick up on over the next few weeks. But I think afterwards, Rob Edwards would have been satisfied with the point. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because when you get so close, you get into the fifth minute of added time and you're leading 1-0 and you don't win the game. Obviously, you're kicking yourselves, but... When we spoke to him before the game on Talk Sport, if I'd offered him a point, I'm sure he'd have bitten my arm off. So I think he was proud with the way that the players executed his game plan. Uh, I think he was proud that they managed to go toe-to-toe with Liverpool. And actually, you mentioned about decision-making. The decision-making for the goal was terrific because it came from a Liverpool corner. Van Dijk is asking for a handball that was never a handball. Ross Barkley, who had an excellent game along with Andros Townsend, two yeah. proven Premier League campaigners, made a big difference for me, and Barkley plays the ball out wide. Kabore, who, as you say, probably made the wrong decision late in the game. He made the right decision this time. Perfectly weighted pass for Tahit Chong, who hadn't been on very long. He finishes it first time. It was an excellent goal from Luton. And again, it was the players executing what Rob Edwards wanted them to do. So I think they'll take a lot of positives. As I, say, I think Andros Townsend, first Premier League start since March 2022. He was excellent in the way that he rallied the other players in the way that he led by example, in the way that him and Barkley kept possession. And Rob Edwards said that was so important after the game because what you can't do when you're under so much pressure, 24 shots they faced, Liverpool dominated the ball. When you do get it, you can't give it straight back. And Barkley and Townsend, with that Premier League experience, made sure that they didn't do that. And it was it was a thrilling contest. Uh, Darwin Nunez has missed a lot of chances. He's hit the woodwork a lot since he's been in the Premier League. Dean, you've been a striker. You know what it's like when things aren't going your way. Is he unlucky or is he is it ability is it an ability is it an ability problem? Um I wouldn't say unlucky, no, because some of the chances are excellent chances that you would expect a top striker to take. I think that's a bit of him. I think it's he's still developing. I think he still needs to improve that clinicalness. But the amount, the volume of opportunities he's getting tells me that he's a super player in that sense. And, and that can improve. And that will improve, I think, um, as the games and the seasons go on for, for Darwin Nunez. But at the moment, it seems like a lot of people are probably having a bit of a chuckle as if he's... You know, the, the type of player that will never get it right. I, I think he will. Um, I just think the volume of chances he's getting is a real positive. It's when you're not getting chances. That's when you need to be very worried as a striker. 
is his movement right? Is his the rest of his game up to Premier League standard? Is he is he elite in every other way apart from that last final bit? Yes, yeah, I think um, he's got so many attributes. I think you'd want in that position. Um, and I, I think his movement's decent. I think he obviously still gets himself caught offside, um, maybe one too many times uh, for my liking. And I think if you if you look at the very best, um, even they miss a lot of chances. You know, look at Haaland this season. Yes, he scored lots of goals, but he's missed a lot of chances. But the best just keep getting in there, keep getting in there. And I think he will get better and better. And I think the big thing for him will be, though, is if Jurgen Klopp says... Yeah, you're my man. Every week, you are starting in the big games. I think that'll elevate him and give him the confidence he needs. Uh, let's talk about Luton. Was it Kenilworth Road at its cliched best under the lights with the full fervent atmosphere that we come to expect from a, a ground as unique as that, Crook? Yeah, I think it was. Um, and obviously, Liverpool, usually quite vociferous away from home. I think certainly Luton won the singing contest. And even at the end, after they dropped two points, really, uh, Rob Edwards went around. He applauded all four sides of the ground. They were singing his name. I think they've got something. I think they've got character. I think they've got um, togetherness that, that maybe we're not seeing from Burnley, for example, at this moment in time. And I think most people expected that Burnley um, would be well ahead of Luton at this stage of the season. They're not. The fact Luton are out of the relegation zone, Still haven't won a home Premier League game. They won't come much closer than they did on Sunday. But psychologically, we're a long way into the season now and they're not in the bottom three. They don't concede the volume of goals that Burnley and Sheffield United have. And I think that's going to set them in good stead. And there are players who are raising themselves to levels that they probably wouldn't have got the opportunity to get to had they not have been promoted to the Premier League. Alfie Doughty, for example, who every time I've seen him this season has been excellent in that wing-back position. Would he have been in the Premier League without Luton? Would someone taken a chance on him? Probably not. Tom Lockyer, who isn't the most imposing of central defenders, I think he really has taken to the Premier League quite well as well. And the goalkeeper, Kaminsky, who I saw at Brighton on the opening day of the season, I was far from convinced. He was man of the match on Sunday. He made five really top-class saves. So I think what they're doing, they're improving and they're learning every game. I'm not sure you can say that about Burnley and Sheffield United. OK, um, right, let's get to Saturday now. We're going to start at an incident-packed St James's Park. What's going on? A penalty has been awarded to Sheffield United in the last minute of stoppage time, but it is being checked still by VAR. The fact that I get to stand there and watch it with him and him still disagree with me tells me that we're in a terrible place. Fabio Silva stops just at the last second. Baldock goes over. That's not a penalty. And still at a loss with where the referee and standards are. And I think that is going to be ruled out. We're just going to check this. And it's an absolute disgrace. And this is nowhere near the level to describe this as the best league in the world. I am sorry. The goal stands. So... You name it, we've had a VAR check for it. The, the problem with subjective decisions is the referee didn't think it was a foul on the day. Another referee may say differently. But you're telling me that's not a two-handed push by Joe Linton on Gabriel. And are they scared now, the on-field officials and those in the VAR room, are they scared of the consequences, too scared to make a decision? The VAR and the uh, stands and fish has got far worse. I feel sick. That's how I feel. I feel sick. 
to be part of this. The PGMOL say Arsenal urgently need to address the standard of officiating and focus on attention, which moves us all on from retrospective analysis, attempted explanations and apologies. Next up for Newcastle, it's going to be Borussia Dortmund away from home, live on TalkSport on Tuesday night, 5.45. They had a very difficult weekend. They were beaten by Bayern Munich uh, heavily at home. And Newcastle, the next visitors there. And when Newcastle go there in the Champions League, they'll do so with the wind in their sails. They beat Arsenal by a goal to nil. I mean, it was, uh, let's say, hotly contested. Should we say that, Dean? Is that fair? Yeah, that, that seems to be a bit between these two sides, you know, stemming from from last season and the touchlines um, as well. And you could sense that right from the off between these these two sides. And um, Havertz is one of those, you know, where he goes about his business quite quietly. But I think he's got that Burkamp edge in terms of mentality and physicality, lacking obviously the quality, that's for sure, as yet. But, you know, just that, a bit bigger than you think, a bit stronger. We'll we'll leave a little bit on defenders, as Dan Byrne has already found out <laughs> when he uh, when he played for Chelsea, um, and obviously did find out at the weekend as well. And it all stemmed pretty much from that from that challenge. Yeah, and it was a, a challenge which I think most people think is probably a red card. Um, it wasn't the only incident that ended up getting scrutinised. Whether or not the referee Stuart Atwell and his VAR made the right decisions. There was Bruno Guimaraes' elbow on Jorginho. There was Bruno Guimaraes again on Declan Rice. What did you think? Red cards, yellow cards? I, I thought the Havertz one, he'd left the ground. He was out of control. I mean, it was an unnecessary challenge. The velocity was, was ridiculous. It's a red card, isn't it, Crook? Yeah, and in a stupid area as well. So that tells me actually that uh, he did mean it. And I think Dean's right. There was there was a bit of after as to what had gone on before. And I think he was very lucky not to be shown a red card. I'm surprised that VAR didn't intervene there. I think Joe um, Guimaraes should have gone as well. I think that was a, a deliberate, petulant, aggressive act. And then you get to the goal. And listen, Mikel Arteta's rant is absolutely fantastic. I, I don't think any of us know if the ball was out of play or not. And I don't think... VAR know if the ball was out of play or not. But what does annoy me, they did rule out the goal that Rasmus Hoyland scored for Manchester United against Brighton. And I don't think they know if that ball was out or not either. So again, you're talking about inconsistencies here. Anyway, they allow play to continue. They, they freely admitted the PGMOL. They didn't know if it was offside because they couldn't draw the line in the right place because there were too many bodies in the way. But they were given a massive get out because there was doubt in their mind that maybe the ball could have gone out of play. Maybe it could have been offside. But what isn't in doubt for me, it's a foul. You know, both arms on the back of the defender, it, it's it's an aggressive act, it's a foul. And the fact that they, they're not sure about the other two decisions, common sense, OK, look, look, we've got to get out of here. Let's just disallow the goal for a foul. Nobody will complain. There's not going to be any controversy. They didn't do that. They allowed the goal to stand. And I can understand why Arsenal are so upset by it. Yeah, well, uh, listen, it was a bit of channelling of Kevin Keegan by Mikel Arteta, so let's hear it. Yeah, we have to talk about the result because you have to talk about how the hell this goal um, stand up and it's incredible. I feel embarrassed, but I have to be the one now coming here to try to defend the club and please ask for help because it's an absolute disgrace that this goal is allowed. It's an absolute disgrace because it's not a goal. For many reasons, it's not a goal. 
for more than one reason at least is not a goal. And it's too much at stake here. We put so much effort. It's so difficult to compete at this level. And it's an absolute disgrace. Again, I feel embarrassed. I've been more than 20 years in this country. And this is nowhere near the level to describe this as the best league in the world. I am sorry. I actually didn't think it was a foul. I thought uh, that Gabriel had stooped down to head the ball away and Joel Linton had just put his hands on his back. I don't think he pushed him. It certainly wasn't like a, a forceful push that pushed him to the ground. It was already uh, going down. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, look, whether the goal... I think the key thing is is that they didn't have enough evidence to overturn the goal, so therefore they let the goal go, which is good because one of the things that's been annoying me this weekend in particular is that it feels as if they are trying their hardest to find a way to rule out goals. And I don't think that's what VAR should be there for. Do you, Dean? I think, you know, three minutes 47 at uh, the Fulham Manchester United game that I was uh, at to sort of decide whether or not a offside had been um, perpetrated in the build-up to that McTominay goal. I mean, it's, it's that that's ludicrous to me. It looks like you're trying to find a way to chalk things off. I think they're in a position where, definitely since the Tottenham-Liverpool game, it feels like every decision, they're taking a long time to make sure that it's right. And they're probably checking absolutely everything so they don't miss anything that then comes back to be questioned after the game that they've possibly possibly missed. Um, I've, again, I've been in that position. Joe Linton definitely edges him out. I wouldn't say he like forcefully pushes, but he is definitely edging him out to try and to try and head it. Uh, you, but you'd I be disappointed so if that was given against you. If that was a foul given against yeah, you, I would. you would be disappointed. I'd be yeah, I'd be gutted because I wouldn't expect it to be a foul. But the one thing I would say is I think they are so desperate not to overturn decisions that are borderline as such and they have tried to stay with the referees I think we've seen that a couple of times over the last couple of weeks where once the decision's made on field they try to avoid to change that and, and that was one of those cases there just wasn't the evidence for them or clear and obvious as they like to say to, to change it but it's just it's such a massive call isn't it it's a massive call but once the referees made that call is there enough evidence to overturn it do you think no, I, I, I don't. No, I don't. I don't think there's enough personally. But I think that is open to interpretation for sure. As you know, Crook feels like it's a foul. Me and you don't think it's hugely a foul. So that's again, VAR is not built for grey areas. No, it isn't. Um, but it was great to hear Mikel Arteta come out and be anything other than grey. He was definitely <laughs> black and white, and in fact, he was quite bold about it as well. Um, for us journalists, you said it was brilliant to listen to Crook, and for us, it's it is great. You know, it's a bit of fun. We're not Arsenal fans, and we are journalists, and this is great copy for us. But I'm not necessarily sure that it's a, it's a great thing, is it? I mean, losing his call like that. Well, it creates a siege mentality because I came home from Brentford on Saturday night. My wife's a massive Arsenal fan. She was absolutely raging, and I, I sort of understood it. But then I watched the goal again. David Raya's part in the goal shouldn't be understated because actually it shouldn't have got as far. <laughs> I said that last night in our group that we were texting in. No one wanted to talk about that. He's, he's got to stop the cross. And, and again, I, I think, let's break this down to Arsenal. Did they play well enough to win that game? I don't think they did. Have they got a proper number nine who is going to give them the edge in tight games against the really good sides in the Premier League? 
in Eddie Nketiah, maybe even in Gabriel Jesus, the answer is no. They spent so much money on Kai Havertz, apart from the ridiculous tackle that he made. Again, it's another game where he's made no real contribution for that £65 million. Surely Mikel Arteta would have been better spending that on a number nine to actually give them the chance to go and win those tight games. And then you've got the goalkeeping situation where Aaron Ramsdale looked a little bit nervous and made a couple of errors against West Ham, certainly one error in midweek. David Raya looks a bag of nerves every time they take the pitch. So again, he's created a situation there where neither goalkeeper really knows if they're the number one or not. I think the yep. decisions that Mikel Arteta made in this summer transfer window are going to cost Arsenal a shot at the title. I don't yeah, see them as contenders, it, and I think that's it, on him. But you've said that before, isn't it? That's not a new development, isn't it? You're, you're, you're recycling something you've said previously. We know that you don't think that Kai Havertz is the answer to the goal-scoring problems. We know that David Raya is, is... is. You think that that decision has unsettled both goalkeepers rather than enhanced them. The question really is, 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 is he a little bit unfortunate as well, Dean? Because some of the players that he's brought in, and Julian Timber is one of those, have picked up injuries. Jesus has picked up an injury. Is he a little bit unfortunate that some of the key components of his team have actually gone out with injury and therefore that's meant that he's, he's had to rely on Havertz more than maybe he thought he was going to? Possibly, but I think Eddie Howe would turn around and say, well, I was dealt the same hand and I'm... I'm able to get a performance out of my players, whether that's away at Old Trafford or at home to, to Arsenal. I was really disappointed, actually, with Arsenal's performance, actually, in, in such a, a big game. If you want to be title contenders, I think you've got to show a little bit more. Um, even Bakayo Saka, I thought, was was pretty poor, pretty because in, he's been overplayed. In, in that game. Because he's been overplayed, of course. Um, so, I, look, I think it's difficult at the moment for, for Mikel Arteta. He'll want his injuries back, of course he will. But I think in these in these bigger games, I think there's just something missing in midfield. And and I'm not saying Declan Rice has been excellent, but there's something else missing. Odegaard's not reached the levels. That balance that they seem to have last season um, doesn't look the same this season at the moment. And and Havertz, I mean the only. The only positive was that I think it was um, certainly in the first half, he had the most regains. I think he's in the team actually for his work ethic, which that is a lot of money to pay for work ethic. (laughs) His height is quite good. They like him because they can kick the ball long to him and take the pressure off the defence if they need to and start building from higher up the pitch is one of the other reasons why they bought him, I think. Uh, But yeah, his quality levels aren't as good as as others, that's for sure. But he is allowed to get one wrong, you know, and it's only sort of like the first three months of his Arsenal career. They've done quite well in recruitment over the last year and a half or so. So it's very difficult to sort of now sort of batter him because he's picked one player, which hasn't quite worked out. Um, let's see two. what happens. He didn't need to do what he's done with the goalkeeper. Really? You haven't said that before? Well, yeah, but you can say that, but in this game... Those flaws that 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 decision making from the summer came back to haunt him. I fancied Arsenal going into this game, and then I saw the team sheet and I saw Jorginho in midfield and Noah Erdogan. I thought well, this this could be a problem. Well, we'll see what happens with Arsenal. Um, I think um, it's great for Newcastle because they've uh, moved further up the table. They've uh, started to show that they've. I thought the way they've recovered from some of their setbacks has been brilliant. Actually, uh, let's move on to Sheffield United versus Wolverhampton Wanderers. They uh, beat them by two goals to one, but. Boy, was it in controversial circumstances. The uh, end of the game was intoxicating, wasn't it? I mean, because Bellegarde scores an equaliser late on in the match. 
and then you have the non-penalty. And what was it like being in the stadium, Dean? Well, I mean, to be honest, the first sort of 60, 70 minutes was horrendous in terms, <laughs> especially the first half. The first half, honestly, Sheffield United, I felt sorry for them. I felt sorry for their fans. It must have been depressing watching them. Archer and, and Brewster up front, especially Brewster didn't look fit and obviously eventually came off um, injured. And actually that that changed things. And it just changed the, the shape slightly. It meant that Archer was up there on his own, but he had support from McAtee, who was brilliant in the second half mm. um, on the right-hand side and then, and then Harmer on the left, but really tight and close to, to Archer. And it changed because I think if Neto had played, Wolves would have been 2-0 up probably in the first half. But Archer, brilliant, brilliant finish. Realised that he was getting closed down, took aim, brilliant strike. And then you just sort of think it's typical that you look like you're going to get a victory, a hard-fought victory, and then they go and score a a nothing goal, really, uh, Wolves. But then, honestly, you've got 10 seconds to go. And I'm just talking from the referee's point of view. There's 10 seconds to go. There's a melee in the box. And a Sheffield United player throws himself to the floor. Straight away, you've got to be thinking, I need to check this. This has to be checked because there's 10 seconds to go. And I can understand why Robert Jones gave the decision on field because in the moment it looked like Fabio Silva had kicked, tried to clear the ball and Baldock had been kicked. But I'm sorry, you look at that replay, there's not a chance... There's not a world where that's a penalty. It's the same one as Fabian Cher and Huang the week before for Wolves. If a player pulls out and the player falls over, we all know, we know that Bulldog is throwing himself to the floor for the penalty. How can you not see that? What is really scary is the fact that Gary O'Neill went into the referee's room after the game. Robert Jones sat down with him and watched that incident back and said... You can see that there is contact. And Gary O'Neill's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean it's a penalty. And that's the other thing that I can't get my head around, that we use contact as an excuse. Like any contact should be a foul. That is not the case. That's never been the case. That never can be the case in a contact sport. The fact is, is that you always have moments where people do come together. That It's clearly not a penalty. But the fact that the referee has convinced himself that it is, or that the refereeing fraternity have convinced themselves that it is, is a bigger concern than than the fact that it was given in the first place. It's a huge problem. And it's a huge problem for Howard Webb because on the face of it, standards seem to be getting worse on his watch. There seem to be more of these kind of incidents week in, week out. And we've said it before, Sam, on this podcast, you get one poor VAR decision in one big game and then there seems to be a domino effect. We haven't talked about Fulham Manchester United yet. I don't believe the McTominay goal should have been ruled out. I think that sets the tone for the weekend. But this one at Bramall Lane is far and away the worst decision. And if you're Gary O'Neill and you're Wolverhampton Wanderers, you start to think there's some kind of agenda against you because Anana on the first day of the season, the Fabian Cher one last weekend, this one now, even going back to when Gary O'Neill was in charge of Bournemouth, these type of shockingly bad decisions seem to be following him around. It's really unfair because Dean's right. Without Pedro Neto, it's going to be a struggle for Wolves, not just on Saturday, but moving forward. Looks like they've battled back and got themselves a a point, which 
would have been acceptable. All of a sudden, they've lost in the in stoppage time to such a poor decision. That's really hard to justify and really hard to rationalise in your head if you're Gary O'Neill. Absolutely. Um, but the worst thing about even what Crook has said there is that there is no agenda against Gary O'Neill. There's no conspiracy against him. It's just that they make that many bad decisions that often that he ends up being on the wrong end just because of the balance of probabilities. That in itself has got to change, hasn't it? It's, it, it's, it's ridiculous. There's just the number of game-changing incidents that we've had in the early weeks of this season. What on earth do we put it down to? Because it wasn't even this bad last year. I would say, I would say it's incompetence is what it is. It can only be that because I, I'm is not. Is it lack I don't of feel think... for the game? Is it? Is it the fact that yes, I mean, Rob yeah, Jones yeah. turning yeah. around and pointing straight to the penalty spot after that incident? I thought, what on earth are you doing? Why are you even getting involved? Because you know for a fact, if there's a blatant penalty there and you just let it go, someone's going to tell you that there was a penalty anyway. So you do not need yeah. to rush to judgment in that circumstance. Because then if it's, if it's only a sort of 60% penalty, you're giving that in those circumstances. It's crazy. Why is he doing that? That's got to be a lack of feel for the game. Yeah, I, I agree. But I also think that, and I know that you like to, to study and read the, uh, the laws of the game, Sam, when you're uh, when, uh, at night. But it, it's down to that. It's down to, the reading, it's down to the reading of the laws of the game. And they're trying to apply that to a game that, that has to have feel and has to have understanding of how players act and how players are trying and desperately trying at times to deceive you as referees. And that sounds horrible, but that is just, that is the truth. And just applying laws because there is a, a, a bit of contact, that, that, that is a lack of feel for, for the game. So when we all watch it, we just can't, we can't get our heads around it. Uh, let's look at some of Saturday's other action now, including a game that started the weekend at Craven Cottage. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.
Yes, yeah, so I went to Fulham nil, uh, Manchester United won. The first half was very nil-nil and very 50-50. Um, the second half, I thought Fulham actually were the much better side. They had two great opportunities to win the game. And then Bruno popped up with one moment of composure and skill after Fulham lost their heads trying to clear inside the penalty area and uh, scored the only goal of the game. But performance, once again, Dean, was lacklustre. Eric Ten Hag afterwards tried to tell me uh, that he thought uh, that it was a very solid, good performance. Um, and I would suggest that that was over-egging the pudding. Yeah, it was an average performance. I thought defensively they did, did okay at times, but I thought Fulham were the, were the better side. I think going forward, that is a big, big worry for, for Ten Hag. It has to be with the changes that he made, um, with the lack of service for Hoyland. Mm. I'm looking at him as a new striker that you want to get off to a good start at your new club. The lack of opportunities that he's been given and service from either the flanks or through the middle is, I think, a big, big worry, actually. And and they've got away with a victory. And it, it's massive, by the way, the victory for, for Manchester United. And they won't care how they how they get it. But you can't cover the fact that going forwards, they need a lot of work. They need a lot of work, but they've also needed a lot of luck to get the points that they've already got. I mean, if you think that, um, he said earlier in the season, didn't he, Eric Ten Hag, everything's against us. Well, actually, in terms of picking up points, everything's been for them because they don't deserve half the number of victories that they've got up until this point. And this was another one of those which probably... You can understand why Marco Silva felt so hard done by. Um, McTominay admitted that he saw the flag in the away end and that, that that sort of made them play better. That inspired them. It said, play like you mean it. Um, shouldn't they be doing that anyway? Well, yeah, they should. But it's a brilliant banner because it's a, a simple message. But it's what 95% of Manchester United fans are, are feeling and thinking at this moment in time. Dean des- described it as a massive win there. I understand where he's coming from, particularly for Ten Hag, but I think it will only be a massive win if they follow it up in Copenhagen, live on Talk Sport in midweek and keep alive their hopes in the Champions League. And if they beat Luton and beat Luton well at Old Trafford next Saturday, if they can do both those things, then I think the complexion and the picture will change heading into this international break. If they don't, then once again, it'll be one step forward and two back. I think I'd like to pick out Palestri uh, as someone who deserves a bit of credit. Yes, it was terrible defending from Fulham, but it was tenacious from him and committed to keep Manchester United on the front foot in the build-up to that Bruno goal. Not sure we've seen that from either Marcus Rashford or from Anthony this season. And Ganacho as well. Um, I think he actually had a really positive impact going forward. But Dean's right. We've been saying it all season. Hoyland needs to be serviced a lot more. The Rashford situation is, is a fascinating one because he gets a public dressing down, quite rightly in my opinion, for going to that nightclub last Sunday after the Derby defeat. And then all of a sudden he picks up an injury in training and isn't available. I wonder how much uh, of an injury that really was. A heavy knock. <coughs> yeah. Uh, failed a fitness test <laughs> next day. Um, is that is that nonsense, Dean? Is, is that nonsense? Is that just discipline? It feels it, yeah. It feels it's hard to get away from it, to be honest. Um, but I was thinking about Marcus Rashford and I was thinking what, why has the change been so stark? And actually, it just dawned on me. It's because Luke Shaw's not playing. He, without that player that gives him the ball and then underlaps or overlaps him, actually, he struggles. He does. Honestly, I think it's as simple 
as that. He struggled in Bayern Munich when short. he had um, uh, Reggion bombing up and down the touchline and feeding him the ball, though, didn't he? Reggion it's was not the, the best same. Player. It's not the same. I think. I think. I think we underestimate how good Luke Shaw is, and I think he's probably the biggest miss to that Manchester United team because so much of their play comes down that side when he plays. And I'm sure you're absolutely right in terms of sure is of a certain quality which brings the best out of other players around him. But that is not an excuse for a serious number of poor performances off the back of him not being there, right? No, 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 no I'm not saying all the performances, but I'm saying certainly Rashford in particular. Um, and I think he probably is one of the, if not the most influential players, actually, when I've been thinking about what they're missing. Mm. Interesting to see what happens when he comes back, if and when he comes back, because he's uh, been out for some while and he's still not yet to come to come back. Um, what about Harry Maguire? How much credit does he deserve? It was a worrying head injury, actually, and he took it inside the first couple of minutes. And I know that, that the club have said that the second injury, where he had to receive treatment, the referee stopped the game and said, hold on, you need to look at here. I'm not comfortable with the way you're behaving. Um, they say it was a hand injury. It didn't look like a hand injury and hand injuries don't usually make referees go over and stop football matches uh, maybe that was the case they say they followed followed all protocols um but um what whether it was right or whether it was wrong that he stayed on the field of play the way that he conducted himself i thought showed this is a guy who wants to play for manchester united wants to do a good job and showed the character that many have been missing agreed and uh, i think he has been a real shining light in the last few weeks for that reason, you know, because listen, he knows he gets stick. He knows that he's not everybody's favorite player in terms of the fan base. He probably knows that in reality, Eric Ten Hag would rather have sold him in the transfer window, but he wanted to stay. He wanted to fight for his place. You were one of the first to report that on talk sport. And I think he's shown that with his performances in recent weeks. And actually I think at the moment he's probably undroppable. He's probably the first name on the team sheet when it comes to that back line. Uh, Brentford 3, West Ham United 2. Crookie was there. Topsy-turvy game at the, the GTEC. But, but, a goal for Neil Mope. And I must admit, I was very happy for him when I saw this come through. I was on my way back from uh, the, the Fulham game. I saw that he'd scored and I thought, oh, great. Now, do we think that Matthias Cunha will score one next and then maybe Raul Jimenez? That, that sort of <laughs> race for who can go on the longest drought will be over. Well, these uh, these things do come in three, as the saying goes. So, so what's this space with those two? But yeah, there was no more popular scorer uh, at the weekend. The Brentford fans absolutely adore Mope. Speaking to Nathan Collins, uh, winning goal scorer for Brentford in the tunnel, live on Talksport after the game. Clearly, the players do as well. And I think when it comes to attitude and endeavour, Mope is a shining light for for underperforming players because, despite the fact that he hadn't scored for. 350 years he never stopped trying and, and he never stopped taking on the the shots so credit to him for that but you know what this was probably the best game I've seen all season it was a really fiercely contested match a London derby Brian and Bumo and Burmo rather was brilliant for Brentford uh Mohamed Kudus superb for West Ham scored a, a goal of the season contender and it did get me thinking you know and we've just been talking about it Anthony, 80 million quid. Kudus from the same club, less than half that. Did Ten Hag go in for the wrong winger or what? Because he looks a really good player and he's settled in the Premier League right away for West Ham. Hmm. It 
was uh, it, I still I think we're always a little bit baffled as to why eighty five million pounds was the price tag for Anthony, bearing in mind he can only kick with one foot. Um, Dino, um, you've been a striker, yet you've never gone over four hundred days without scoring. Um, can you imagine how Neil Mopay was feeling when the ball hit the back of the net? Was he thinking, "Oh my God, here comes VAR"? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, which is why I'm so glad it wasn't around when I played. I think I went 10 games without scoring and that felt like a lifetime. It's horrible because that is what you are. That's what you become is you're judged on goals. And if you don't score the goals, it's amazing how it chips away at your confidence and away from the away from the pitch as well as to who you exactly are. So for him, I'm glad for him. That's for sure. I thought... Like Crookie said, your interview with Collins was brilliant. He sort of opened up a bit in terms of what he's clearly like around around the place. Um, and it was a terrific game, you're right. And I, the only thing I would say is West Ham cannot mm. keep a clean sheet. And I don't know whether it's David Moyes feeling like he's having to open up the, the play. The signings they've made have, have maybe opened up that. But they look like they're going to score plenty of goals. And they look more entertaining, actually, the games that they play in. And that, that just doesn't feel like like a David Moyes team. And, and, you know, they're on a bad run at the moment in the Premier League. One win in seven in the league for West Ham. They've probably um, frustrated David Moyes quite a bit with their defending. Maybe they've come a bit of a, a cup team, which is not ideal, I don't think. Especially, listen, they'll get away with it this year because there's no way that they'll be sucked into a relegation battle. But it's not what the Hammers fans were expecting. Um, defending for, for a couple of the goals actually was dreadful. Mavropanos got himself into an awful knot twice. Um, and the, the, the fact that they fell for the, the long throw, recycled ball to the back edge of the six-yard box and then Colin steams in and gets the winner. I mean, that was... That was pretty basic, really, and they should have dealt with that, but they didn't. And as a result, they uh, ended up losing that game. Um, right, let's uh, move on to Monday night football because Chelsea are going to Tottenham Hotspur for what is a huge game. It's the return of Maurizio Pochettino. So this is Monday night football. Poch back at Spurs. Ian Abrahams asked the best question probably ever asked to a football manager when he said to Mauricio Pochettino uh, in the press conference on Friday, is it going to be like meeting up with an ex-girlfriend? And he said, uh, I don't know because I've been married to my wife for 32 years and I don't even remember if I had a girlfriend before her, which I thought was uh, very diplomatic because that's it's clearly not true. But he just didn't want to upset his wife. Brilliant. Um, so Mauricio Pochettino is going back to um, the scene of his glory days in Tottenham Hotspur. How are, how are Chelsea going to negotiate this, Dean? Because this is this is a tough task. Yeah, it is. Um, I've been so impressed with uh, with Tottenham um, since Ange Postacoglu took over. Um, I think there is gaps, and I'm still waiting for a team to exploit the fact that. Um, both Pedro Porro and whether it's Adoji um, or Emerson Royale who, or whoever plays as a left-back, because they both go into midfield. At times, mm. I watch Pedro Porro and he's playing in the centre-forward position. So there has to be gaps in those full-back areas for Chelsea to exploit. And I'm just, I am waiting for a team to really exploit those, those areas. I know 
Romero and Van der Ven have been outstanding when they get taken into those areas. But I think Chelsea have got the players that could cause an issue in those areas. But Dean, they can do this, right? Because Mickey Van der Ven is faster than a Porsche 911. <laughs> he is, but he's not always in that position. And surely there must be a way of, of pulling him out of that position. I just I just haven't seen it yet. And maybe that is because Tottenham have, have executed it extremely well. Um, but that's where I see Chelsea's strengths is, is in wide areas. Well, it's certainly not through the middle, is it? That's for sure. Um, <laughs> should Chelsea play strict, split strikers like they did the other week uh, in the game against Arsenal and two number 10s crook in this match? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he adopts a similar approach because, again, you'd imagine that Tottenham are going to want to try and dominate the possession. Um, so maybe maybe Chelsea are going to adopt a, a counter-punch approach as they did for a lot of that game. Having watched Chelsea in midweek, labour to victory, really, against a, a Blackburn side who, who were no great shakes. They missed a lot of chance in that game. Nicholas Jackson already looks like his confidence is shot to bits. I just wonder and I worry where the goals are going to come from. I just think Tottenham have got more firepower. You know, you look at the way that Madison's playing, Son, uh, Kulisevsky, I think Brennan Johnson will start this game after the impact he made um, off the bench in their last match. And I think in those forward areas, they will be too strong. Not sure there's masses between the two teams defensively, particularly if Badia Shiel is fit enough to start. I think he's going to be... Um, a real positive for Chelsea if he can stay fit. But just in those forward areas, I think I think they've got too much Tottenham. I think it'll be a disappointing return for Pochettino. OK, uh, Ange Postacoglu um, has been making significant waves as well with his expert uh, nimbleness in press conferences and, and, and in interviews. His very sort of dry humour has, has gone down well. He also has encouraged the Tottenham fans to dare to dream. I quite like this, right? Because let's be completely clear. Why shouldn't Tottenham fans get a little bit excited? They're, they're doing what Arsenal did last year. They're, they're pushing Manchester City. They may well not beat Manchester City. They may well not end up winning the league. But last year, they were really bad. It was boring. Watching Tottenham used to make you go to sleep, actually fall asleep. You could watch Tottenham and you would fall asleep. It was almost like as soon as you put them on, within two minutes, nothing happened. You were just snoozing. This year, it's completely different, right, Dean? They're fun. They're energetic. They've got Madison, a bit of flair. It's Tottenham. It's the dare is to do. It's the old Tottenham style. It's good to hope that you can win. It's good to think that actually something might be happening. Yes? Yes, yeah, I think it is. But I think everybody else is thinking, does Ange Postacoglu know anything about the history of Tottenham Hotspur? Because this is <laughs> what this is what they have done. <laughs> it is. And and I think Not usually for this long. <laughs> no. And and I and I don't see it crumbling uh, very soon at all because I think the way they're playing, uh, the confidence that they've shown they're yet to be tested with players missing, and I mean key players. Um, we will see how they get on if that was to if that was to happen. But you're right; you can't be one of those fans that just you know doesn't doesn't hope and doesn't dream that 
that your team can to, can go and contend, and, and they should, and they should enjoy this football. OK, um, thank you very much, gentlemen. We're looking forward to it. It's 8 o'clock on Monday night. On Tuesday night, we've got Dortmund against Newcastle, 5.45 TalkSport 2. And at 8 o'clock, Atletico Madrid against Celtic. Wednesday night, it's uh, two games for you. Uh, Copenhagen against Manchester United. We'll keep an eye on City as well. And Thursday, it's to lose against Liverpool in the Europa League. We'll be back on Thursday afternoon, Friday morning to bring you a preview to the weekend. We look forward to it. Make sure you tell all your friends about Premier League All Access from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.